so we are glad to see all that are here and uh, those that will be making it to the Sunday school class this morning. Let's take our Bibles this morning when we'll get everybody started here today. Let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, as we continue on our study of eschatology. And uh, I want to bring some things to uh, our attention today. As you noticed last week, we finished up with our study in eschatology with the church at Ephesus. And we talked about the importance of the Ephesian period uh, on how that, that's supposed to go. So I want us to look today at the Smyrna church. And the message that the Lord has for the Smyrna church is probably the smallest of all the writings. So let's go down there. You'll see what I'm talking about beginning at verse 8 of Revelation chapter 2. And it says, And unto the angel of, of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of these things which, have, which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, that you may uh, have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Let us pray. Father, again, I want to thank you for the uh, blessings that you give to us today. And I pray, Father, that as we study, that you will just continue to bless and direct us. Thank you again, Father, for the, the goodness which you give. I pray, Father, that you will show us your mercies as you see fit. The Lord also open up our understanding so that we might be conscious of the things that we pray, conscious of the things we say, Lord, also in the areas of teaching. Help us, dear Father, to always be faithful unto you and guide and bless and direct now. In Christ we pray. Amen. So I'm going to ask Brother Joe, if he will, we'll take this slide off and we'll put up on the screen there uh, the one that has to deal with the uh, church at Pergamon and uh, some things that are there for us today. As we begin our studies today, and by the way, just to show that everybody knows, Brother Joe and I are planning on uh, going over this week. We're going to see if we can get a, a different um, iPhone so we can start broadcasting. In reality, just so that everybody knows, we do not have to have all the technology we're utilizing. We can actually make it a lot simpler. We can go straight from the iPhone through the computer or from the iPhone straight to the Internet to uh, the, the Wi-Fi and uh, make sure that we are broadcasting to uh, Facebook. So we're going to try to make sure that we have all of that together as we go in. Uh, so pray for Brother Joe and I that we'll be able to figure this out and to make it as simple as we can. Uh, he's been doing some groundwork. I have too. Uh, what we don't want to do is make it to where it's bothersome to the congregation so that if they see it, they uh, are distracted by what they see on the monitor versus what they see uh, or what they hear from the Word of God. The whole time that I've been together uh, with this church, there's been one thing that has been a prevailing thought that is upon my mind, and that is, what will God do with us next? Now, understand this, is that 
Um, we're going to be getting into this morning uh, in the second service about the work of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to get this, is that the, uh, the thing that we hear and we see, even as in eschatology, is how often the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the direction. Let's look at verse 7. Notice what it says here. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, and that's notice it's a capital S, meaning the Holy Spirit, saith unto the churches. All right, let's go down to verse 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. So understand this. Whether we have a large congregation or a small congregation, we must give heed to the direction of the Holy Spirit. And I think that a lot of times we don't understand, as a church, the full direction of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to get into today. I've had many discussions about the Word of God, and, and I love going down when I, uh, and as most of you know, I went down to see my son Joseph this week. And as Joe and I were together, we, we talk about the Bible. I mean, it's just amazing how much stuff springs up. We'll just start talking about the Bible. And uh, one of the things was about the Great Commission. And Jesus said, go ye in all the world. That little word go means to go out. It means to go forward. It means to leave this presence and enter into the mission work. And so Joe said that he uh, heard a preacher not too long ago say, uh, well, we don't really need to go. That is on the borderline of hardshellism. If God's word says for us to go, then we need to go. We need to take the word of God. It's not dependent on how many missionaries we send out. But think about this. A missionary proves himself to a church by what they do in the church. So if we had a young man that was here, or, or you know, I said, Brother Joe, if I can pick on you a minute. Brother Joe said, Jamie and I have been praying and uh, we really feel like we should start a mission work. And we would say, okay, wonderful, Brother Joe. Uh, you know, enjoy yourself. Well, the thing is, before we ever send Joe out as a missionary, we ought to see the evidence of him doing mission work right here. If you will recall, Stephen was called as an, a deacon. But, you know, I love what, what was stated even though Stephen was called as a deacon, he was busy in life. And part of that was that he was already evangelizing other parts of Jerusalem, and he was, matter-of-factly, sort of an in-your-face kind of individual. I had no doubt that as he began to preach the Word of God, that others could not uh, withstand the truth of what he was teaching. Again, the power of the Holy Spirit carrying the message into the quadrants that he went into. It cost him his life. But in so costing him his life, it also scattered the church to where that other things could be happening throughout the rest of the world. And in other words, the Great Commission. When we look at the Smyrna church, and again, notice it's an overlapping period. The Ephesian church, we said, was from 30 to 314 A.D., okay, in that particular time. Notice also, or 300 A.D., notice that during that same time frame is the Smyrna church. We cannot forget the fact of the matter is, is that during this time frame, there was a lot of persecution that would, would happen against the early congregation. The more the zeal of God 
the more that they began to trust God, the more that they realized that they had to uh, continue on in their work. Let's go down to, if you will, again to verse 8, and notice what it says. And to the angel of the church of, Sm of Smyrna write, These things saith he, saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. In other words, this is that the very opening statement means that the Lord We hear people say, well, I believe that Jesus Christ is, Lord and, is my Lord and Savior. Or they may say, I believe that Jesus Christ rose again. There is a difference in saying that I believe that Jesus Christ rose again and that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Turn with me to the book of Acts, just for a moment. And let's go down to, uh, into chapter 8. And notice again, this is where Philip has uh, witnessed to the eunuch, the Ethiopian, and as he does, notice the response that he gets. Let's go to, uh, if you will, to verse 35. And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, there came a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Notice the response that Peter gave him. And I believe that every one of us should have this kind of response in our life. And, P and Philip said, If thou believest with thine heart, thou mayest. In other words, not just a head. you realize the time that Philip was instructing this man, he could reason in the mind, but it goes from the thinking of what we have down to the conviction, down to the repentance, down to the desire of the things of God in the heart. And he answered and he said, I statement. I do, I do not believe in Jesus. Oh, you know, it's not alone that I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But notice, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In that statement, he goes, I believe what no man, else, no man else will believe. I believe that he is the Son of God. And at that moment, he commanded the chariot uh, to stand still, and they went both down into the water and Philip and the eunuch and baptized him. And when they were come out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip and passing through, he preached into the cities till he came to Caesarea. In other words, the, mo the moment that the Holy Spirit had fulfilled the responsibility with Philip, Philip was caught away. And the eunuch was now going to be directed and led by the things that he had to study. And I really believe that later on, especially with Thomas and some of the other apostles, they probably met up with the eunuch, though it's not written in Scripture for us to be able to see it. Reality is, is that when we talk about a life, major in life, it is something that I know Savior. The one thing that hurts in so many of our congregations is we have a congregation of lost people. They have a head knowledge, but they don't have a heart relationship. And that's the one thing we want to look at. But notice what Jesus said to this church. I know... You know, when 
Jesus was was born, there was gold and frankincense and myrrh. Well, Smyrna was a hotbed for creation of myrrh. It was very costly. It was a spice that a lot of people wanted and they desired. And it was not cheap by any measure. And so think about this. Here is a community that is rich in itself, but this church is left in poverty. Why is this church in such poverty? Because they faced a particular situation where they were refused even the common courtesies of living. We see the atrocities of, of, of the Jewish Holocaust. And that is just the tip of the iceberg of what we see even with the Smyrna church. In the Jewish Holocaust, people who once had thriving businesses were cast out and they were not even allowed the common courtesy of life. They could not buy food. They could not exchange. They could not do anything of this nature. Well, the same thing holds true with the Smyrna church because they held so tightly to the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, they were refused even the common courtesies in this very rich community. Do you realize that Satan wanted to starve out this church so that Smyrna would not, would not even thrive as a church in this area? But notice the rest of it. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews, in other words, those that declare that they are holy, those that declare so they declare that there's something, but instead, in other words, they are not Jewish, they are not following the one true God, they are following after Satan. And notice again, that the Lord said unto them, Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and that you have tribulation ten days. But be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. The thing that we find here, we are on, the one thing that we find here is that this church had the smallest message, but it had the most impactful message that was given to any of the seven churches. Imagine um, that we are going to face it. I like what Brother Greg said last, yes, or last week. He um, was reading from Daniel and how that the three Hebrew children were cast into the, into the burning fiery furnace. But the statement that those three Hebrew children say, let it be known that we're still... But understand, we're not Within the, the, the leading of Christ in their life, but it also took a great emphasis that in the place that we're at, we're going to worship God no matter what. Everybody else may bow down. Everybody else may be may bow down in front. We're not going to bow down because we're going to trust in the Lord our God, and that's important. Not everyone has the tenacity or the ability to do it. Aren't you glad we're not facing that right now? I am. Every day I'm so thankful that I don't face that persecution. But the reality is, is that it may come upon us before we know it. It was during this time that we read of the persecution that will come within 10 days. And in fact, the beautiful thing is, uh, and, and this is where I want to come into point number three. We're going to come back to point number two in just a moment. But in point number three, Smyrna 
was it during, was representing of the time that in the face of persecution, God was going to use individuals for his honor and glory. Understand this. John the, John the Revelator, if you will, St. John, John the Beloved, all of these titles that, that really do pertain, is allowed to see the Revelation message and hear the Revelation message and be able to write it down. What most people don't know, and this is again, this is partly tradition, you can read it in the Fox's Book of Martyrs and others, John, no doubt, had been, had been literally boiled in oil. His body had been cast into oil, but it said that when he came out of the oil, there was no hurt upon him. Now, it's not written in Scripture for us to read. So anything of that nature is conjecture. It's all, all the stories that have been passed on. You know, you can read Josephus and everything else and find out for yourself. But there were two major things that I believe that John had to do in his life period. Number one, he had to write down the book of Revelation. Now, I don't know if you all have a, 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 a Bible that was written by Thompson Chain or anything of this nature, but a lot of people believe that the book of Revelation was written right around 65 A.D. or somewhere in that neighborhood. In a few short years, in Jerusalem would collapse and there would be a total casting out of all the Jews from that Palestine area. But until that time, John was given the responsibility to take and to not only listen what the Lord said, but to write every bit of the content of this book and pass it around to the, the seven churches. And from there, it went out into the world. There's no mistake about it. There was one question that came down, and it was during the canonization of this book. Now understand, and this is the second thing that I believe that John had the responsibility of. The, the Saint John, the Apostle John, John the Revelator, John the Beloved, I believe it was his responsibility to put together the entire Bible, in other words, to canonize it. It is said that John died around 110 A.D. or 150 A.D. I'm not sure of the exact time. But the reality is, is that when John passed from this life, he had already stated that the book of Revelation was indeed the Word of God. That's amazing, isn't it? Do you realize there's more reference in the book of Revelation to the Old Testament than practically any other book that we have? But as he wrote these things down, it's the very Word of God that is presented to us. And so as John is writing these things down, it is presented, it starts with the Word of God, and it ends with the Word of God. How do I know it ends with the Word of God? Turn with me, if you will, to the last chapter of the book of Revelation, and notice it's in chapter 22, and let's go down to verse 18, and listen to the conclusion of what we hear. We'll go back to verse 17. Right above it, in verse 16, we find that Jesus said that these were the things that were given as a testimony to the seven churches. In verse 17, it says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Do you realize that when we go out into the world, we have a responsibility to invite others to come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And let him that heareth come. In other words, when the opening, when the preaching is occurring, let those that hear the message for themselves by the power of the Holy Spirit, let them come 
to believe. And let him that, ha that is a thirst come. In other words, those that are desiring to know the things of God. I've had so many people that they want to argue about what's going on in uh, Asbury College. Uh, Joe said that uh, there was someone that distributed a message that came out and said, well, there must not be a real revival because they're not using the King James Bible. It's not in a Baptist church. He went on and on and on. If that be the case, you better throw your Bible away. Do you realize that the Bible that we use was written who had a desire for the things of God, but in reality they were Protestant in their beliefs? That's hard to handle, isn't it? Do you realize that we might as well throw our songbook away? How many psalms do we sing by Fanny Crosby or Ira D. Sankey or others? Those were not Baptist. And yet there was a profound understanding and the desire to know the things of God. Remember what Jesus said, those that are not against us are for us. And the reality our God, which was written by Martin Luther. I know churches because it was written by Martin Luther will never sing that song. But when you listen to the words, let's go back to the book of Revelation and notice what it says. That during this time frame, the arguments against the book of Revelation being a part of the 66 books that would be joined together were books or were, was the message that indeed destruction is coming and because there was such a hatred for the things of God even amongst the religious and I've had people say well the Catholic Church tried to destroy it wait a minute the Catholic Church did not come around until around 590 B or AD now mind you what happened, we'll get into a little bit more detail on how that we saw those things creep into that, that uh, group of people, that they accepted uh, Catholicism as it was. But the reality is, is that we see that there were a lot of people that wanted to fight against the truth of God's Word. We, we talk about a man by the name of um, St. Nick, all right? the, the, the Nicholas of whatever town he was in, I don't remember. But do you realize that what he was really known for was his solid stand upon Scripture. His solid stand for Jesus Christ. He was really known for his solid stand that he desired the things of God over everything else. Giving gifts was on the outskirts. Let's go ahead and let's take a look at it. It says here that they will be persecuted for ten days. Look again, verse 9. I know thy works in thy tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. I know thy blaspheming of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of them, or none of the none fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that it may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. If there is one thing that I really believe upon, and what made me understand or believe in this, this area as a dispensational time, it came with that verse. If you will go to the next slide, Brother John, I want everyone to see this. When it says ten days, there was actually ten periods of persecution during this time frame. 
And one of the areas that we see, and this was all related to Poly, or this was all related to Smyrna. Notice that the first tribulation came with Nero. How many of us have ever heard of Nero? How that is said that he wanted to rebuild Rome in his own image, and he set it on fire while he fiddled away on, on the top of his palace, and then turned around and blamed the Christians for it. Well, there's been a lot of people that say, well, that happened or it didn't happen, things like that. But the reality is, is that there was, beginning with Nero, a great persecution. Uh, probably one of the most haunting things that I remember was a movie that was created many years ago. I've never seen it since. How that Christians would be literally tied to a cross. In other words, their arms would go across the cross beam. And so the beam would come across their shoulder and they would hold, be, be tied in the back so they could not move. And then the, the Roman soldier would have, a, a, have an arrow and they would be facing away from it. And then when the, the sound came in, they were to turn and they were pull and they were to shoot an arrow at this individual. And I remember watching that. And as each arrow entered into the body of a Christian, they praised God instead of crying out in anguish or pain. And of course, the one person that made it all happen was the one who would hit him in the heart and all the crowd would rejoice. In the, pur in, in the, in the purpose of Nero, because he was able to cast dispersion from himself to the Christians, there were so many of them that faced the heavy persecution. Then it went on to Domitian. Domitian was another one that was just terrible. At first he seemed to be a friend of the Christians, but then he turned on them so quickly, followed by Trajan. And you'll notice that these did not happen sequentially one, one period right after another. It ended with one Caesar and it started with another. And notice how much further each one had. And because there was a delight in the people, there was a delight in the death of a Christian, that many times people would just scream and shout. And, and I wrote this the other day. Uh, I don't know how many of you all read the devotion I put out daily. But one of the devotions I thought about was, you know, I, I love I to kid around. I love to enjoy myself when it comes to uh, being able to speak and to, to interject. Well, one day I was teaching a Christian care ministry, which is in Colorado Springs, and I uh, suddenly there was this guy that came up and he goes, you're prejudiced. And I said, well, no, I'm not. He goes, well, why don't you tell us your best racial joke, your best black joke, your, be your best Jewish joke, and so on and so forth. And because of that accusation, at that moment... I was on the verge of being fired from Christian care ministry because one person could make an accusation. He was not a Christian. He had somehow slipped through the cracks and now he's making an accusation. And I suddenly felt at such a loss because of this individual. Suddenly, the African Americans in the classroom stood up and said, you need to hush up. Mr. Prater is not prejudiced. He has done nothing but shown us great love in this, con in this group of classroom. About the time some Mexican-Americans stood up and they said, we will vouch for Mr. Prater, but we won't vouch for you. And before you know it, everybody in the classroom, I praise God for that, stood up on my behalf or I could have been without a job just that quickly. All because of an accusation. Matter of fact, let me just throw this at you. 
What are the rights that we have as an American? There are four basic rights. And one of those is the right to pursue happiness. We have the right, if you will, to bear arms. We have the right to assemble together and have, have God in the midst of our assembly. But do you realize we have allowed people to cry out, I want my right. I want the right of homosexuality. That's not a guarantee. I want the right of this or I want the right of that. There's no such thing as those kind of rights. But we have allowed those things to creep in. And if we want to see or take back that which God has submitted and given to us, then we need to return to the scripture. So again, notice with Trajan, Antonius, Servus, Maximus, Decius, Valerina, Aurelian, and Diocletian. By the way, at the very end is Diocletian. It was such a terrible state with Diocletian that a lot of people said, how did anyone ever survive it? But when Smyrna was told that there would be 10 days of tribulation, it meant 10 periods of time. I love what Jack MacArthur wrote in this. He said, if there's ever any proof of the word of God, it is in the period of these men that brought heavy persecution upon the congregation. But notice again, he said, but be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. I want to read to you something now. Again, this is, uh, this is out of the book by Jack MacArthur. It's called uh, Revelation. I have only found this book one time. I've only found it one time. I'm sure there's other available. But I want to read to you, and if you will back up one slide, brother. One of the things that we see in this one slide was the greatest challenge was to, for the people to remain faithful as was proven by Polycarp. Probably the greatest martyr known to mankind today was a man by the name of Polycarp. I want to read to you what it says here. And please bear with me. One of the most famous instances of martyrdom all in all the world took place in Smyrna around the year 155 A.D. An edict had been given that all were to worship Caesar, Polycarp, who was led to Jesus Christ by the Apostle Paul, was the leader, perhaps the pastor, of the church in Smyrna. His tomb remains there to this, to this day. Polycarp was arrested at the home of a friend outside of the city and was taken before Irena Ark Herod, who asked, What harm is there in saying Caesar is Lord or in practicing in these ceremonies that you can be spared? Polycarp answered, I cannot do as you advise me. I cannot say Caesar is Lord. I can only say Jesus is Lord. The pagan populace demanded that he be given to the lions and then burned at the stake. While in the arena, the proconsul asked him, Swear by the fortunes of Caesar, and I will set thee at liberty. Reproach Christ, and I will set thee free. Polycarp answered, with one of the most famous of vows in all history, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How can I blaspheme my king and savior? When the proconsul again pressed him, the aged pastor said, Since thou art vainly urging that I should swear by the fortune of Caesar, and pretendest not to know who and what I am, hear me. I A little later, the governor threatened, I have walked to the end. To the 
he said, I will But thou art ignorant of the fire that is coming, uh, of the coming judgment, and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. While the people led by the Jews gathered the wood and faggots and burned the faithful pastor. But in the flames this prayer was recorded. I thank thee that thou hast graciously thought me worthy of this day and of this hour that I may receive a portion in the number of thy martyrs in the cup of thy Christ. Loyalty such as this, though not often tested to the point of death, has ever existed in the church, and through it Christ conquers. I believe that Polycarp exemplified the Christians in Smyrna. Isn't that amazing? So when you think about it, and, and you know, it's sad that so many people don't know the history of, of so many wonderful men who were willing to stand and to give an account of what Christ would do for them. I, I would urge you all to understand even our own country. How many men stood up and said, we will give of our lives and of our fortunes so that we may worship our God freely? Patrick Henry he, he literally was a staunch supporter of America. But in his mind, the perfect answer would be that every state would select their own religion. Virginia was going to be a Baptist region, as was another state. But the Baptists staunchly stood up and said, No, we want the freedom to be able to preach the word of God wherever he may allow it. And it was because of some tragedy that, that Patrick Henry was not able to be at the last vote. And it was by that narrow margin, because Patrick Henry was not allowed, that we have the freedom in the United States to bear the gospel of Christ to everyone that will hear it. Isn't that amazing? We live in a country that we can preach the word of God freely. But I'm like Greg. I'm, I believe that that time is coming quickly to an end. So when we think about a man like Polycarp, when we think of this Smyrna church, it ought to be one that we hear the message so carefully and that we pay attention to the things that are given. In fact, let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. And I want to conclude with this particular thought. Again, it goes back to the testimony that was given to us by Philip. And in Acts chapter 8, notice that Philip had, he had preached the word of God. He had made the message as plainly as he possibly could. And even to a, a people that refused, they were hard-hearted. They desired nothing to know of the truth. But if we go down to verse 26, notice what it says. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that thou goest down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is in desert. Now, first of all, Philip was a deacon. And when Philip was a deacon, he knew that he had been called of God to do what God wanted him to do. He became, instead of Philip the deacon, he became known as Philip the Evangelist. And Philip the Evangelist, which 
by all earmarks, is a representation of what we now know as missionaries. And notice, and he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, and a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had changed, charged all of her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot and read Isaiah the prophet. God has given us the opportunity to study his word. We are blessed. I mean, I, I don't understand why people don't have more of a desire to know the things of God from his word. Reality is, is that we can go to the internet. We can pull up the Bible and read it to our, either on our phones or on, our, on the big screen. We can do it on our computers. We have the book in front of us. I love having my, my Bible on my lap where I can open up the pages and read it for myself. But the reality is, is that we have so much access to the Word of God, it's sad that no one wants to know the Word of God. We, I think, as a country will give an answer for not cherishing the Word of God as we should. I'm working on my third Bible right now, and I look at the pages and I go, man, these pages are not nearly as worn as my first Bible. But the reality is, is that the more I use this Bible, the more it's going to show the wear and tear and the desires to know what's written in these pages. And may we take the things that have been shown to us from the Word of God, and just as Philip was given the instruction to go join that chariot, to talk to that eunuch, to know the message, so must we also become so involved and so understanding of the things of God that we cannot and will not deny it. Father, again, thank you for this moment. Thank you for the message, and I pray that it will be exactly what is needed for everyone today. So lead us and bless and direct now. In Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. We're dismissed. We'll be.